this out, y'all. Uh, internet's what's the word welcome back to the read a book podcast my name is sean little uh, you can find me at i am sean little across the internet uh, and i'm joined by my co-host uh, jb jb what's up sir what's up my brother um we're back like we never left even though well we kind of left uh so the aim is as we move forward with the read a book podcast is to release uh, an episode every monday uh, the past couple of episodes, there's been a Monday uh, in between episodes, so I apologize for that. Uh, but you it's know, my fault. you can tell me it's my fault. I don't think it's I don't think it's only your fault. Uh, you know, like I, like I've been saying, you know, my wife and I are transitioning. JB is a busy guy uh, up in Oklahoma City, rapping and teaching and acting. He was chopping up with me uh, pre pre episode about that. Um, so we're just trying to handle business, take care of it, and bring conversations uh, that we think are important to the table. So here we are. Um, today's episode, we actually conclude uh, Divided by Faith. So again, I want to say thanks to y'all who have been rocking with us uh, for the past several weeks as we uh, read Divided by Faith by Michael Emerson and Christian Smith. Again, the subtitle is Evangelical Religion and the Problem of Race in America. Uh, so today we're looking at primarily uh, chapter 7 and chapter 8, uh, as well as the one and a half page uh, conclusion chapter, which is chapter 9. Uh, but we'll start with chapter 7, which is the organization of religion and internally similar congregations. Uh, and for those of uh, you who've been reading with us, uh, you know that this chapter kind of explores, well, the fact that uh, religion in America, and namely evangelical religion, uh, is, is primarily homogenous. Uh, on page 136, we read that about 90% of American congregations are made up of at least 90% of people of the same race, uh, which is really kind of crazy. Um, so 90% of American congregations are made up of at least 90% of people of the same race. And then throughout the chapter, we see sort of uh, maybe objective reasoning uh, why American religion is homogenous. Uh, but then we also see sort of subjective reasoning uh, why people who are in churches think that uh, their churches, their congregations um, are racially, ethnically uh, homogenous. So JB, obviously you've read this chapter, um, but if I were to ask you that question, you know, one of the big questions that they're asking throughout this chapter, why is your church, why are churches in general, uh, why are congregations uh, made up of 90% uh, people who look the same? Why would you, what would your answer, sort of your gut answer to that question be? Um, I, mainly because uh, churches usually I, I think it depends on on the pastor mm. like for instance there's a uh, there's a church here and I mean I, I'm not I don't, I'm not gonna say the name of it but shots fired uh, wah, wah, wah. but the past but the pastor is black 
and his wife is white, right? So guess guess what? Imagine like you would think like his church would be just like mixed, but guess what? Guess what? What's there? I would say it's a black church. No, it's a it's a it's a church where a lot of uh, with a lot of mixed couples, interracial couples. Huh. And it's it's like like so like I guess what I'm trying to say is is like you know the the pastor sets the standard. You know what I mean? Like mm. I don't know. I mean I. I know him, but I don't know him, know him, and uh, I don't go to church there. But like, because you're dating of, a white girl. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, I just don't like it. But uh, <laughs> but a lot of the, um, but it's just crazy, like how, like you know, without without even knowing, right, without even like, you know, like seeing, like understanding what you're doing whenever you're whenever you're inviting somebody to the church, and you say, well, I mean, the pastor is. You know, he's black and his wife is white. So, y'all, you know what I mean? Like, not even realizing what you're doing. Like, why should that matter? You know, but yeah, a lot of interracial couples go there. Um, and I've been, and then, but yeah, so it starts with the pastor. So, if you go to, if you were to ask somebody, you know, uh, is your church uh, white or is it black? It would, it would probably be based on what the pastor is. You know what I mean? Hmm. And, um, and I know churches here with, 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 um, that are that the pastors and like the congregation is all white and they might be sprinkled with some black with some Asian, but I'll tell you they're a multiracial, multicultural church. But it's like, no, your church is definitely white. You know what right. I mean? So, so I think that I think that it's up to the pastor and the leadership to um, to step out of that comfort zone and you know allow. Um, you know, their staff to reflect, you know, if they don't have a staff or allow, allow their leadership to reflect, you know, the kind of congregation they want. Yeah. And, but I mean, then you have to think about the, the area the church sits in, you know, you have a church that sits in a, uh, you know, a, a suburban area where the majority of people there, you know, are white. Then a lot of times that, you know what I'm saying? That church mm-hmm. is going to be white. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I, I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, other than that, you yeah. know, is it starts with the leadership and it starts with, with the pastor, and you know, um, recognizing and understanding that. And like I said, like, a lot of pastors, a lot, a lot of times, a lot of congregations don't want to change. They want, you know, they want their church to be all white or sure. to be all black, you know, for whatever reason. For mm-hmm. some reasons, it might be, you know, they want to keep the money rolling in or mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to, they want to reflect their neighborhood or, you know, things like that. You know, I know uh, um, there are some, you know, just like, you know, in all a Mexican church or an all Spanish or Hispanic church, you know, they may want, they may not want to uh, have to start uh, preaching in English. Right. <laughs> you, know what I'm like, right. like, you know, so it's, I mean, but, but it's a reflection of, of leadership most of mm. the time. Yeah. And that definitely, that brings several things to mind. Um, you said a lot of times, you know, congregations don't necessarily want their churches uh, to change, whatever the reason is or the motivation. Uh, and that just reminds me, it's actually in chapter 8, so maybe we'll come back to it, but I want to say it at this point because it seems relevant. Um, there was just a comment, and I'm looking forward to see the specific page, uh, but there was a comment that I, you know, sort of resonated with deeply that clergy uh, or church leadership 
view the institution of the church as uh, a place where they can challenge um, society, they can challenge uh, culture, and they can challenge congregation. That's how the leadership sees it or the clergy initially see it. Whereas congregations don't look at the institution of church as a place to be challenged, but as a place to be comforted. Right, so the congregation yeah. says, "Well, I see that you know the world is tumultuous. We got Trump in office. We got all this popping in the Middle East. There's all this race stuff going on across America. Uh, Bitcoin is about to blow up and devalue the U.S. dollar. Uh, so I don't know what's going on out in the world, but I know that I can come to church." What it? Sorry to, to. I keep seeing Bitcoin, but go ahead. I don't even know what that is. But yeah, go we'll, ahead. Have, we'll have to chop it up after this episode about that. I invested in Bitcoin, so I'm gonna. I'll have to chop it up with you about it. Um, but I do think that that's telling that, you know, if those ideas hold true, uh, that, that pastors or clergy or leadership look at the institution of the church as a place to challenge uh, their congregation, whereas the congregation looks at the institution of a church as a place to be comforted. Well, being challenged <clears throat> and being comforted uh, are opposed to one another. Uh, so a lot of times mm-hmm. you look at you know what's actually happening uh, in churches and uh, to me that that helps to make sense of um, maybe why the church isn't doing what uh, it should be doing or doing all that it could be doing because in large if a congregation uh, doesn't support being challenged or doesn't support uh, you know, the idea of, of, of pushing back or growing or whatever, and they want to be comforted, even if it is legitimately comforted from the crazy world, uh, then obviously they're not going to be able to challenge or grow or whatever. Um, so that idea comes to mind. But, you know, I think what you were saying, uh, sort of that that subjective answer is true, that it starts with leadership. Um, and here on one page, page 136 and 137, uh, there's the idea that you know, there are the subjective reasons um, why at least 90% of churches are made up of at least 90% of people of the same race. But then they also go on to say that, and it's a kind of a, a cool, brief uh, history lesson, but they talk about uh, what has happened in history and in America uh, to create, quote, a, a religious marketplace. Um which I thought was, you know, very interesting and super dope. So I'll read a couple of uh, lines and you feel to feel free to jump in on them. Uh, they argue that in the face of social and religious pluralism, uh, having many options and choices, the organization of American religion powerfully drives religious groups towards internal similarity, uh, right? So if there's a black church and there's a white church, and there's a Korean church, and there's a Russian church, and there's a Hawaiian church. When you have all of those options within the religious marketplace, then essentially the the business, uh, being the church, uh, has to go after their consumer, right? They have to go after uh, their target market, and a very easy way uh, to go after a target market is to appeal in America to race, to appeal to ethnicity, Um and, you know, they're on page 137 uh, in, in becoming a, a religious marketplace. Uh, they start that section off uh, with a quote that reads, What is our business? Who 
are our consumers and what do they value, which is a, a sign that was said to hang over the desk of uh, Bill Hybels, who's a pastor uh, in Chicago of a 15,000-member church called Willow Creek Church. Um, so it is fascinating, maybe, JB, to get back to your point that, like, it starts with the leadership, right? And when this leader is asking this question, as a, as a leader of a church, what is our business? Who are our customers? And what do they value? Uh, that's sort of very telling, both of the influence of the pastor, uh, but also of the religious uh, marketplace idea, right? That uh, churches, for example, are like fast food restaurants, um, and so McDonald's isn't trying to sell uh, filet mignon. How you say that? I don't even eat meat. I don't know what your carnivores are doing. Filet mignon. Uh, and Chipotle isn't trying to sell White Castle burgers, right? They have specialized products um, that they're trying to appeal to consumers um, based on. Right. So um, that's crazy because one of the one of the reasons that i that i um stopped working at church was you know for that same reason mm-hmm. and and that's just one of the reasons but um you know businesses don't have a soul they don't have souls you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and you know, whenever you think about church, you don't think you don't want to think of church as a business, but you know, a, a successful church, what we would consider successful being like numbers, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the amount of money they bring in. A successful church, you know, is a business. They have they have a secretary. They, you know, what I mean, like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pastors on staff and the youth pastors on staff, like, like, you know, all those things that that go with being a business, you know. Yeah, they own I got, real estate and they have to pay. Well, the church doesn't get, pay taxes. I used to get so tired of like going to all these, you know, meetings and all these conferences and all this stuff, and you meet people and you just want to, you know, talk. And you know, they, you know they all they wanted to say was, "Oh yeah, I'm on staff. I'm on staff. I'm mm-hmm. on staff." Like it's like, like damn, like I I get it. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you know, as soon as people would say stuff like that, or they want to know, you know, um, our youth group, our youth group has, you know, uh, we're we're at 180 right now. Our youth group mm-hmm. is at this. Our youth group has this many. And it's like, all right, you know, like well, how many of those kids? You know, are you know, are like how many of those kids actually have their or have had their lives changed? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, you know what I mean? Like how many of those yeah. kids do you know their names? How many of those kids do you know their families? How many of those kids you've been to their house? You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. You know, um, well we have you know we have we have this uh, home group and that's what they do and it's like man like it's like man all that stuff is just so much business to it right that just got unattractive to you know so much business to it yeah you know um and it's like my my i never set out whenever i 
whenever I would start working for the church, it was because the they had in place, he left hmm. and there was nobody to do it. You should, I'm like, man, somebody got to do it. So I did it. Hmm. You know, I never was like, and, I, and I've heard these conversations. People are like, not, I just want to be on staff. So and staff, you know what I'm saying? Like, I never, I never thought like that. I never, that never crossed my mind, you know? Right. It wasn't a business, you know? And, and when you look at the root of, you know, of business, businesses don't have souls. People get fired and hired with without um, any concern of, you know, how you gonna make it tomorrow? You know right. saying? What you gonna do? How you, how you gonna feed your kids? In business, in business, you know. Sure. And when you lose your soul and like your soul. So concerned with the business part, you know how how are you taking care of people? Mm. I mean, good don't take don't care about taking care of people. Um, okay, so rehash that you were saying that people would be so gassed uh, to be on staff, uh, and you were called into a church uh, staff opportunity, but that just was never meaningful to you. Right. So, like, just you know, it's like um, so like think about like think about like this. Like you can ask somebody, oh, uh, what church to go to? Oh no, I'm on staff. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, <laughs> bro, like you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, so you don't go there? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Like, well, oh, you, you go, you go to this, you go to so and so church. No, I'm on, I'm on staff at so and so church. Right. It's like, okay, I get it, bro. I get it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like, you know, so like, I just never, I just never, you know, I and I don't like business anyway. I don't like. I don't like working for people. I don't like um, I don't like clocking in and clocking out. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't I don't like being interviewed. I don't like none of that stuff. So so you know if 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 business if church becomes that kind of business, it's mm-hmm. impossible to have a soul. Like and I just huh. feel like I feel like church should have a soul to it. Sure, you know. Um, it should have a code of conduct you know, or an ethic or a morale and ethos that's more okay. than business. Cause, right. Cause businesses don't, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. People, people get hired and hired and they don't care what happens. You know, good luck. You know what I'm saying? Right. Good luck out there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, you know, you, you didn't, you didn't, um, you didn't sell it. You didn't, you didn't sell enough vacuums. Right. Good, good luck, bro. <laughs> you right. know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. You didn't sell enough vacuums. Right. So, you know, um, you know. I'm sorry, bro. Art. You know, you, such and such is youth group. They have this pastor on staff. He's he's new and cool and hip, and he has mm-hmm. you, know, you know 500 kids. I'm sorry, like our your youth group, youth group only has 100. I'm sorry, bro. We gotta let you go. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. oh, okay. You know what? what, what you know what I mean? Like, oh, that's oh, I forgot. This is business. Sure. You know, I yeah. Thought, I thought. Oh, I thought we were doing church, but we're doing business. My right. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And it's fascinating, so. you know, like I've definitely, I was on church. I was on staff. Uh, nah, bro, I'm on staff. Uh, I was on staff <laughs> at a church uh, for about three years, uh, just probably four or five months ago. Um, so I definitely had a lot of conversations with people about that same idea. 
Uh, and certainly, you know, I had conversations before I was on staff with people uh, about that idea. And I think that's why this section about what led to uh, the religious marketplace was so helpful for me that essentially, like, you know, Catholicism had a lock on uh, Christian religion for upward of a thousand years. And Rome, the state, and the Catholic Church, they were married to one another. Uh, so in large, like religion was mandated, uh, Christian religion was mandated to people. Uh, basically, it was illegal to be other than uh, Catholic. But then, obviously, with the um, Reformation, uh, and then that leads, that doesn't lead to, but after that is the establishment uh, of America and all of the, 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 the pushing back on the establishment and the taking off the yoke of the establishment, whether it was uh, the, the British rule uh, of, of the British people in the American colonies or the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, the oppressive church system uh, ruling over people. Um, the, uh, and I'm trying to find the language here, uh, but they talk about the disestablishment um, of formalized uh, church that was long-standing. Uh, and so disestablishment meant that religious groups could no longer depend on the state for their survival. So the state would supplement right, the, 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 the budgets, uh, the income of the church. The, that would be like you know, separation of church and state. And when that happens, uh, the church has to depend on volunteers. Uh, the church has to depend on solely the financial support um, of their congregation. And this is at the end of 139 when religion becomes uh, disestablished. It opens the doors for, and this is very interesting, creative religious entrepreneurs to market their alternative faith to religious consumers. Disestablishment in the context of a new pluralistic nation led to a religious marketplace. So just thinking about some of the things that have influenced why uh, church is a business today um, and understanding, okay, well, why is why are churches so racially divided? Why are churches so economically divided? You got a, a poor church, you got a rich church. Why uh, do churches have fifteen thousand people and huge buildings and campuses and multiple sites? And then why does this other church? Uh, why do they, you know, only meet at a rented facility or whatever? But trying to understand some of the the mechanisms behind uh, why all of that stuff makes sense is just helpful and interesting for me because essentially when church was disestablished uh, there were creative religious entrepreneurs uh, that saw an opportunity and that's not to say that these men and women weren't sincere in the things that they believed and the faith that they have whatever uh, but that's just to say that like I know what it's like to be an entrepreneur you know what I'm saying I know what it's like to try to find a market and to pitch and market, you know, the read a book podcast to people who are interested in these conversations or reading books or whatever. Um, and so I can't necessarily knock the creative religious entrepreneur. Uh, but like you were saying, when uh, the soul of the whole thing, right, is, is, is displaced uh, just because of the business, um, there is something, you know, very, very troubling about that. Um, so then they move on to 
you know, sort of looking at hearing what, what congregations um, have to say uh, about this reality that 90% of churches are made up of 90% of people uh, that look the same. Uh, and they look at, which I thought was really interesting, um, but they look at why are people in uh, religious groups in the first place? Like what leads people uh, to be interested in uh, being affiliated with a religious group. Uh, and on page 143, there's a really interesting line. It says, uh, in many respects, we know who we are by knowing who we are not. Um, and then there's this whole idea about, you know, in-group and out-group uh, theory and psychology. So like you and I, right? We have a host of things that are in common, whether it's rap music, hip-hop culture, language, upbringing, whatever. And so even though in America uh, we're very different because I'm a white guy and you're a black guy, uh, there's enough between us that we feel like we have in-group familiarity with one another. You know what I'm saying? I understand. Um, and so what's interesting about that is like... Uh, that very human um, feeling that we we know who we are by knowing who we're not, a lot of that, I think, is a reason uh, why churches are so similar or segregated or divided uh, because they're made up of people who want to feel like a part of the in-group. You know what I'm saying? And like mm -hmm. race is such a strong dividing line uh, that that's where most people's, um, you know, their, their, their business uh, is divided by race. Oftentimes their faith is divided by race. Their neighborhoods are divided by race. Their education is divided by race just because that's the infrastructure of America. Uh, so it, it kind of takes a, uh, an, an odd bird or an oddball out in America, especially within the black-white, you know, racial relationship. Uh, it takes someone that, that, I don't know, has a lot in common uh, with the other person. If their race isn't in common, uh, they have to have a lot of other things in common for them to even be able to, like, come together, let alone build a relationship and have, you know, significant uh, experiences with one another. Um, think about a couple of your white... Yeah, I think Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm listening. Well, I'm interested in your thought. I'll, I'll, I'll keep my question. I was going to say, like... I know, like, there are times, like, um, like, for instance, uh, here's an example. Whenever I had, like, dreadlocks, mm -hmm. I walked into, like, a room, and there was somebody there with dreadlocks. I would try to, like, get to the other side of the room. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, what's up, my brother? What's up, my brother? What's up, my brother? Yeah, you know, but it's so crazy how how instead of how like instead of like wanting to um be different or like be around people who are different than us or like you know mm -hmm. like as humans we're so we're so um drawn to what's most comfortable or what's what's easiest you know mm -hmm. it's it's way more easier to attend a church where everybody looks just like me you right. know um, everybody has the same problems I have or mm -hmm. everybody, you know, you know what I mean? Like, um, 
you know, I I think, and I could be wrong, I don't have all the answers, but I think it'd be easier to find growth or, you know, individually if, um, if we were around people who weren't like us and hmm. who challenged what we already know and challenged, you know, our hearts and our, our, you know, what we're used to being comfortable around, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, some some of the people that have taught me the most are people who aren't like me. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that you know ties back into uh, that idea that I mentioned from chapter eight. That a lot of times people uh, look to church uh, as a place to find comfort, um, a place to find uh, solidarity uh, and uh, agreement, right? Um, that I don't agree with people who, you know, uh, are not Christian or who are not Muslim and who are not Buddhist or whatever, that the fundamental components of my life as a person of faith, regardless of your religion, uh, seem so at odds uh, with other people that a lot of times people will go to churches, uh, faith institutions, because they know that they can have the fundamental things about their life that can be in common with other people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, Which obviously leads to a whole host uh, of problems. Um, Just this idea that like, and look, I know I got listeners who this is going to like rub wrong or whatever, but the whole idea that like um, American uh, Republican, conservative, white politics is equal to Christianity. Um, that's like deeply troubling uh, because it's like, sure, you know, the the, the person, my my politician, if that fits me, uh, I might vote for the Republican politician because I say, oh. They're Christian, um, and they're going to support Christian values or whatever. And they may legitimately believe that uh, Jesus is the Messiah, and by believing, have eternal life, and therefore be Christian. (laughs) That might be true. Uh, But Donald Trump is not a good representative of, quote, Christian values. Um, But it's like people need to have, people of faith need to have the the those big things such as what they believe about god or eternity they so need to like have that in common with the people that they support or with the people that they like or the people that they build with that they're willing to tolerate it seems like an immeasurable amount of contradiction right so if the if the thing that matters the most to me as a christian is that i build with other christians if that's the most important thing um, then I'll be willing to say, oh, well, JB's a Christian, even though he's da 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 and those are all bad things. Those are all wrong things. Those are all immoral things. Uh, because a lot of times it seems like people of faith value the faith more than they value anything else about other people. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I understand. And so... You know, as long as they're Christian or as long as they share the same faith or whatever, then I'm willing to overlook. And even, I mean, with Donald Trump, it's like there's too many of them, right? It it seems like specifically at this moment in American history, there's a large contingent of 
evangelical Christians that support a Donald Trump because he has identified himself as a Christian. And it's almost like they don't know what uh, to do with all of the obvious stuff that he says and does and represents that contradicts the heart of God. They don't know what to do with that because they're just bought in on the idea uh, that, oh, he said he's Christian, the evangelical Christian vote went after him, so we just have to support him. Um, and that's troubling. Uh, but again, people who are so faith-centric, uh, so concerned about making sure that uh, people agree with their faith or support their faith, a lot of times they're willing to like brush a whole bunch of other stuff under the rug just to have that in agreement with people. Um, so if you voted for Donald Trump, why don't you tell JB and I, you can reach me at I am Sean Little, you can reach JB at my name is JB. Uh, if you voted for Donald Trump and you're an evangelical Christian listening to this, uh, help me understand why you voted for him. Uh, and if you find yourself supporting him now, uh, and the date is December 8, 2017, help me understand uh, why you still uh, find yourself supporting that man. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll pause for a brief commercial uh, break at this point, and we will be right back. You're listening to the Read a Book Podcast. Uh, just to welcome you all back, you are listening to uh, the Read a Book Podcast. My name is Sean Little. Uh, and my co-host is the one, the only, JB. Uh, we're continuing on in our discussion of Divided by Faith, Evangelical Religion, and the Problem of Race in America by Michael O. Emerson and Christian Smith. Uh, today we're discussing uh, Chapter 7, Chapter 8, and then the concluding chapter, which is very brief, uh, Chapter 9. Uh, again, Chapter 7, the organization of religion, the big idea that stuck out to me was that because of the uh, D. Uh, regulation, that's not the word, uh, the deconstruction, the deinstitutionalization, uh, the word is, is skipping me right now, uh, but because of the deconstruction of religion, uh, both, okay, here we go, the disestablishment uh, of religion, both throughout history, but then specifically uh, within the American context, that created a market uh, for creative religious uh, entrepreneurs to perpetuate, uh, market, and sell, not in a bad way, uh, their faith systems, their beliefs. Um, and, and, and partly that speaks to why 90% of churches are made up by people uh, who are 90% uh, they look alike. So 90% of churches are made up by 90% of people of the same ethnicity uh, because the religious creative entrepreneur is marketing a very specific product uh, in in the sort of new American uh, test that is this sort of uh, democratic republic. Um, and so to me that, you know, that helped me make sense of a lot of the business and church's business conversations that I've had over my life that a lot just about our context and our environment uh, has created the opportunity for people to market a very specific product to a very specific consumer within the context of religion. So again, it makes sense to me uh, because uh, ethnicity is uh, such a hot topic in America because as the authors of this book said from the jump uh, that we live in a racialized society, it makes sense that 
the creative religious entrepreneur would go after a specific ethnicity so if I'm a white guy I know I can go after a white congregation the black guy can go after a black congregation the Asian the Russian it goes on and on uh, but that makes a lot of sense to me uh, within the American context uh, and disestablished religion um, so moving on to uh, chapter 8 structurally uh, speaking, religion, and racialization. And it starts, again, with a, with a really interesting uh, quote, so I'll start it. Religion has tremendous potential for mitigating racial division and inequality. Most religions teach love, respect, and equality of all peoples. They often teach of the errors inherent to racial prejudice and discrimination. They frequently proclaim the need to embrace all people. They speak of the need for fairness and justice, they often teach that selfishness and acting in self-interested ways are counter to the will of the divine. So just from the jump, JB, would you say that you've ever heard um, that you've heard a, a church, a Christian church, uh, preach, teach that selfishness is good? Never. Um, yeah, I mean, me either. And it seems like a lot of, you know, uh, churches or uh, congregations, pastors go after that idea um, of selfishness, whether it's from sort of a, a biblical place uh, or just a very practical place that in order for the local church to work, they need people to be unselfish with their time because they need volunteers. They need people to be unselfish with their money uh, because they need dollar bills to run the organization and to hire people who are on staff. Uh, and we'll come back to that idea a little bit later uh, about the idea of selfishness, self-servingness, uh, and how the church communicates about that. Uh, but again, chapter 8 is structurally speaking, and uh, they examine two primary structural arrangements in this chapter, which is uh, racially homogenous religious groups and uh, the segmented religious market. Uh, they look at those two things and they claim that these not only uh, generate congregational segregation by race, but they contribute to the racial fragmentation of American society, generate and sustain group biases, direct altruistic religious impulses, to express themselves primarily within racially separate groups, segregate social networks and identities, contribute to the maintenance of socioeconomic inequality, and generally fragment and drown out religious prophetic voices calling for an end to racialization. Uh, JB, what are your thoughts? Why, why would it be hard for um, a church that is... Uh, racially homogenous, right? The all-black church or the all-white church. Uh, why would why would it be hard for that church or that pastor uh, to actually bring about change uh, when it comes to uh, making churches multi-ethnic, making churches not racialized? Why would that be hard? I think a, a lot of it has to do with just with relationships and trying to relate with with people because the the moment you open your doors to uh you know other ethnicities other cultures other races then you like there's a sense of you're trying to identify sometimes with them 
or trying to, um, I mean, just like, for instance, you know, I teach, right, and uh, I teach hip-hop studies, mm-hmm. and the majority, well, my class, my class is like half and half, half black, half white, right? So with the, with the white students, like, I like, I make it a point sometimes whenever I'm talking, like, I'll look at their face and I'll be like, um, does it that like hoping I don't sound like one sided? Like for instance, we mm-hmm. we discussed we discussed the N word in class and and about the N word in hip hop, you know, mm-hmm. and it was a great conversation, but you know, um, I had to I was very aware and very cautious about um, how I worded things and how I said things because I didn't want to uh, lose them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I did, you know, I wanted to know like it's it's not one side against the other side. There's no right or wrong. You know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. is a conversation and in, in a discussion. But you know, I was I was very aware and very uh, conscious of the things I said and how I said it. Mm-hmm. So I think that sometimes, whenever we are, uh, whenever we do uh, open, you know, up to other cultures and races, then it 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 makes you um kind of switch your your game up you know mm-hmm. what i mean mm-hmm. and and um you know you you might have to go you might have to rethink the way you word things we rethink the way you might normally say it you know i don't talk the same way i talk whenever i'm with my family that i talk whenever i'm with um my class you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. i don't you know i don't i don't um you know, I don't, I don't, uh, whenever, if I'm in a, in a staff meeting at school or not that we have staff meetings, I guess, but mm-hmm. if I'm in any kind of, if I'm, if, if I'm having, you know, a meeting with somebody like, you know, I'm not talking in that meeting the way I'm talking when I'm with, you know, uh, a group of my friends sometimes, sure. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, um, you yeah. know, when I'm on the radio, I'm conscious of, you know, if I'm saying, um, and things like that, you know what right. I mean? So, yes. so I think that, you know, that's probably the, one of, one of the re- biggest reasons that I, that I, I would say if it were me, um, and it was my church, you know, I would like, that would be the first thing is like, um, I remember real quick, I know I'm telling a, story, a lot of stories, it's but for instance, we had a, here at the tower, we had a comedy show and the comedy show, it was all black comics. Um, and we, it was the second year for doing this comedy show, but the crowd, the first year was like young and black. Well, this year somehow uh, the crowd ended up being like, like all these corporate people. You know what I'm saying? Huh. And I even heard that one guy just got up and said, "You know, this isn't for me," and left. Wow. You know what I mean? So, so like you know, those are the, those are those are some of the things you run into whenever you whenever you start to. Uh, mixed cultures and mixed race. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what uh, they're on about. Uh, page 154, racially homogenous religious groups, divisions, biases, and loyalty. This idea of macro uh, level division, that uh, America is a racialized society. Uh, so the, re- the racialized society of the United States is characterized by low intermarriage rates, de facto segregation, socioeconomic inequality, and personal identities and social networks that are racially uh, distinctive. 
So people born into America are born into a racialized society, uh, and then that creates all sorts of divisions uh, and dichotomy along the lines of race, which is what they say at 155, that race is the dimension most closely associated with differential income, education, uh, education, residential location, occupation, and so on. So if you want to understand division um, and and difference in uh, America, uh, the the single factor that most uh, poignantly speaks to why the division exists, it's because of race. Um, And so... There's a good and a bad associated with that uh, because we live in a racialized society and we're divided along the lines of race, then obviously uh, it is easy uh, to build strong bonds uh, based on race, right? Uh, Because if my neighborhood, my school, my job, my leisure, and my hobbies all exist within the same racial world, Uh, so I'm white, and if that whole world is white, uh, then white is normal to me. So it's easy for me to build with white people, and if that whole world excludes people of color, uh, then there is inherent uh, bias towards white people, but there's also inherent difficulty uh, to building with people who don't exist in my world. And then the same goes for uh, people of color. And so when it comes to doing church, just like JB, you were talking about, uh, church is so relational. You know what I'm saying? Like, invite your friend to church. Invite your family member to church. Invite your coworker to church. We have a bring a friend to church day. Well, in the racialized society of America, your coworker, your family member, and uh, your friend are most likely going to be uh, the same race, the same ethnicity. Uh, so obviously that allows you to build strong in-groups of racially uh, homogenous churches, but then that makes building uh, racially diverse churches Uh, very, very difficult. Um, And then there's one more thing that I wanted to point out uh, here in uh, chapter 8 that I mentioned earlier uh, is the difference between uh, the clergy or the church leadership versus the congregation or uh, the laity. And here's what it is. It's at the bottom of page 165 onto the top of page 166. so this this is juxtaposing the two, uh, laity versus uh, clergy. Um, laity want the prophetic voice, uh, and that means uh, the voice of truth and honesty and the utmost good, regardless of what your society says. Uh, so laity wants the prophetic voice uh, to support their own felt needs. Um so I want the truth to support how I feel, right? Uh, make America great again. <laughs> that truth is beckoned from the hilltops because that supports how I feel. Um, and so I'm willing to say, yeah, that's that's real. Now, if there was a different message, uh, maybe he couldn't have rallied the troops like that. Let's make America great again for everyone. Uh, well, Brother probably wouldn't have get got voted into office, but that's a rabbit trail, and I may be losing some of y'all. But the point is, is that uh, church leaders, and this is at one sixty six, come to see the church as an institution for challenging people to new hopes, 
and new visions of a better world. Laity, congregation, on the other hand, are in large part committed to the view that the church should be a source of comfort for them in a troubled world. Um, and so maybe that's where I want to spend the last few uh, minutes as we wrap up Divided by Faith. Um, maybe what side of the aisle are we going to find ourselves on? Uh, if you're a Christian, if you're an evangelical Christian, um, where do you find yourself uh, in that division? Uh, do you think that the church should be an institution for challenging people uh, to new hopes and new visions of a better world? Or do you think that the church should be a source of comfort for you uh, in the troubled world? Um, I think that's kind of the, the million-dollar question, uh, not only that we're you know looking at and that has risen to the surface as we read Divided by Faith, but I think that will continue to be sort of the heartbeat um, of the Read a Book podcast is this idea of conscious culture that we're trying to own and uh, elevate at 4th District, um, and then this hashtag that I'm on about making conversation cool again. Uh, do you think that read a book uh, should comfort you uh, in your prejudices, in your biases? Uh, or do you think that this podcast at 4th District at large, the hosts that I'm able to bring on, uh, do you think they should challenge you? And, and maybe that's uh, what I'm on about, that regardless of what it is, whether it's uh, the, the church that I find myself a part of, the relationships that I find my part, myself a part of, uh, obviously the conversations that I'm able to have here on Read a Book, um, I want those things to be a source of challenge uh, to bring a, a better view of what the world could be, uh, and I don't want those things just to comfort me uh, as I deal with a world that is complicated and broken uh, already. So I hope that encourages y'all. Uh, JB, what, what final thoughts do you have for us, sir? I just think that it should, Some I think it's okay to, to do both, you know, to comfort and challenge, uh, you know, because, you know, we all, we all need comfort and we all need to be challenged. Um, I think that, you know, if there's a way to find balance, especially in church, then, um, you know, that'd be a good church to be in. So, right. Uh, well, JB, I appreciate you co-hosting, uh, through our first book on the Read a Book podcast, Divided by Faith. Uh, it's been a pleasure being able to get to spend time with you uh, and to chop up the conversation. So again, thank you, sir. You too, my brother. Thank you, man. Um, again, you guys can find JB across the internet at my name is JB. You can find me at I am Sean Little. Uh, rock with us at 4th District and 4thdistrict.com, F-O-R-T-H for all of y'all spell correct and fools. Uh, and I want to encourage y'all again to read a book. Peace. Uh.